Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for the grace and power and, and glory that you've given each of us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for your son, for your Holy Spirit moving among us. We pray, Father, as we seek you in your word this morning that you would speak to us. Father, that our ears would be open to your voice. That our hearts would be open to the work that you want to do in each of us. And that you, God, would bless and fill this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 2. Oh, how do you like that? That's what you get for moving the ribbons, isn't it? I'll find it eventually. See, I took the ribbon out, and then I, I closed my Bible on accident. There we go, James chapter 2. So, thus far in James, we've talked a lot about spiritual maturity. We have talked a lot about trials and temptations. We talked about not being hear, uh, hearers of the word only, but being doers of the word. Last week, we spent our time talking about the importance of not playing favorites. Now, you all know, we all have favorites, right? You have your favorite people, your favorite book of the Bible, John, just in case you're wondering, um, or Romans. Okay, anyways, it is hard to choose. But we do tend to do that, but God doesn't want us to play favorites when it comes to the kingdom of God. He wants us to freely preach the gospel because we get this idea that, well, certain people are worthy, certain people aren't. And so we want to share the gospel with these people, but maybe not so much with those people. That's not what God wants us to do. God doesn't want us to treat people like that. When we get into verse 14, and I'm going to tell you, way back, uh, well, I guess way back, five, six weeks ago, when I knew we were going to be getting into the book of James, I knew this day would come, that I was going to preach this passage. And I started praying back then, as I've been praying all week long, that I would do this well. That I would preach this passage well. Because a lot of people struggle with this passage in James. They think James is claiming that we have to work to be saved. It's not what James is claiming. And we're going to get into this in just a moment. But it's important for us to understand, I say it all the time, that salvation is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We have other passages like Galatians 2, 16 and Romans 3, 28, both of which tell us that righteousness does not come through the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And since the Bible does not contradict itself, there's no way that Ephesians and Galatians and Romans and even Jesus himself in the book of John, they looked at Jesus and they said, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus looked at them and said, this is the work of God. Believe in the one who sent me. I love it. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough. You can't be good enough. It is a free gift of his grace based upon the finished work of what Jesus Christ has done for us, his death and resurrection on the cross. 
Isn't that glorious? And then we read James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, a lot of people get that far now. Wait, wait, wait a second. All right, I've read Romans. I've read Galatians. I've read the book of John. I've, can faith save us? Aren't we told over and over again that faith is what saves us? Faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done? And he goes on, verse 15, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, verse 19 says. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. It's a hard word to hear sometimes. And I hope I can do it justice. I'm praying said for weeks and all this week and I got up this morning and it was the same prayer just that we would understand what God is telling us here so he says in verse 14 what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can faith save him for brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says depart in peace be warm and filled but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body what does it profit thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead what profit is there if you have, or if you say you have faith, but you don't have works? And I think this is an interesting question. So we think about the illustration that James used. A person claims to be a Christian. Someone comes to them in need. And that person apparently has the ability to help them. But they simply tell them, oh, be off, have a good day. Imagine someone comes up to you and they're hungry. And you know it, right? They're, they're not trying to skin. You just, they're hungry. And so you go, well, I hope you find something to eat. And you walk off. What are you supposed to do? Buy them a sandwich. Or make them a sandwich. Or take them to Arby's and give them those good little fried chicken bites. Right? Give them something to eat. What if you meet somebody who's cold? Big heavy jacket on, you got six more at home. Hey, you'll be fine. Help them be warm. I remember years and years and years ago, I was a very young Christian, and uh, we were at a church where I, uh, I was on the worship team, and we had two Sunday morning services and a Sunday night service, so I was at church a long time on Sundays. I used to get uh, a few hours off in the afternoon to have lunch before we had to be back. And uh, 
So we didn't usually sit, the worship team, we didn't usually sit through both services. What would often happen, because we had to be there at like 7.30, uh, is we'd go out to breakfast during one of the services. So we would, we would lead worship, and then we'd go get breakfast and come back and then wait to do the closing songs. Then we'd do the second service, and usually, because we had the kids were small, Leah would come for the second service, and then we would, we would sit in that service together. So one Sunday, and this was in California, right? California never gets cold. Not really, anyway. Um, and we were out there. We had had breakfast. We were sitting there with a cup of coffee, uh, waiting for the, the service to the point where we would go back in. And uh, I was sitting there with uh, one of the other guys on the worship team, uh, his wife, who was the church secretary. Anyways, there were like five or six of us there. And this person wandered up to the church. And they came, in, they came up and they asked for money. That was California. This was a common occurrence. And they asked for money. And we're like, yeah, we don't have, and I didn't. I was poor at the time. Uh, I was like, yeah, sorry, we don't have any money. And we're like, hey, we've, we've got coffee. We've got pastries. Uh, you're welcome to any of that. You're welcome to come in and join us for a service. And as soon as we invited him to church, he got really ticked off, and he walked away. We're like, okay. And the, the, my friend, his wife, uh, well, she was my friend, too. She's still there. <laughs> leaned over and said, oh, well, be warm and be filled. <laughs> like, like, that's rude. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Pat's the only one that laughed at that. So here's the question. If we do that to somebody, or say we do something else, the example of food or the example of warm clothing is just an illustration. Would that be a demonstration of our faith? I'm a Christian. I love people. I want people to spend eternity in heaven. I'm hungry. <laughs> Too bad. Is that a demonstration of our faith? No, it's not. So faith without works is dead. And the word for dead here means a corpse or without life. In other words, if we claim to be a believer in Christ, but we are not living that out practically, if we claim to have faith, but our works speak otherwise, then our faith is without life, and our faith has no profit. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And what does salt do? Right? Salt preserves. Salt flavors. Salt makes you thirsty. That's what we're to do. We are a, pres a, pre uh -huh, a preserving factor in the world today with the Holy Spirit in us and working through us. We are a flavoring factor in the world today. And when people see us as we are salt of the earth, we should be making them thirsty for the things of God. He goes on, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Our world is filled with darkness. If you spend five minutes reading the news, you'll see that. If you spend five minutes in Walmart, you'll see that. The world is filled with darkness. What are we supposed to do? 
get up. Are we supposed to let them continue in darkness, continue being lost? Are we supposed to go out and shine the light of the gospel? I don't know why I'm pointing that way. That was shine the light of the gospel into a dark and dying world. That's why Jesus finished that spot. Says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Because when salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. When a light is hidden, it's unprofitable. Faith that is not demonstrated by our works is without light. That's why we're told in chapter 1 to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's why in Titus 2.14 we're told that Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Verse 18. Now it says it's the key. Well, there it is. See, it says it's the key. Verse 18 says, Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You will often hear me say that context is key to understanding and interpreting any passage of Scripture. And there are multiple realms of context. It's the context of the passage it's in, the chapter it's in, the book it's in, the testament that it's in, context of the entire Bible, and then, I need a sixth finger, cultural context. Right? Whenever we're interpreting a passage of the Bible, those are the things we have to consider. It's really easy to go back to verse um, 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? You take that verse out of the chapter, out of the book, out of the context of the rest of the Bible, you could build a case for works-based salvation. See, faith doesn't save you. You've got to have works too. But all you really need to do is go down and read verse 18. And when you put all of it in context, where all of Scripture teaches us that salvation is by grace, then we have this verse. I think it's the key to understanding this passage, to understanding what James is communicating to us. Our works are the demonstration of the reality of our faith. Our works are the demonstration of the reality of our faith. You say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. The word for show here in Greek, I am not going to try to pronounce it. You all know how good my Greek pronunciation is starts with a D. And it means to make known, to demonstrate, to explain, or to show the meaning of. We cannot demonstrate or make our faith known without our works. It is through our good works, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, where we show the world what our faith means. In Matthew 9, Four through seven, Jesus demonstrates this, I think. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, well, let me give you a little bit of context. Jesus is in a house. They tear the roof off the house. They lower the dude down, the paralytic. His friends lower him down. And he looks at the guy and he says, ha, your faith has saved you. 
your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure, just imagine, you go to the doctor, right? You've got a compound fracture, bone sticking out of your leg. Your friend, you know, the, the ambulance people, they wheel you in, bone clearly sticking out of your leg, and you're in all kinds of pain. And the doctor comes up and he goes, wow, hey, God's going to forgive you of your sins. Um, my leg? Might be the response. Or, ow, 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 my leg. Be of good cheer. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. And there's some Pharisees standing by, and they're like, they think, this is my favorite part. They think, well, who is this guy? That he can forgive sins. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, it says in verse 4, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Love that scene. I think it's beautiful. You don't believe that I can forgive sins? What's easier? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, because how do you argue with that? Oh, his sins aren't forgiven. Right? Which it's obviously easier to say that. Much harder to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, because that's going to require immediate physical proof. That's exactly what happened. The guy got up, took his bed, and he walked. Because we can say anything we want. Just like Jesus told this man his sins were forgiven. But if our actions do not back up our words, then our words are meaningless. Jesus demonstrated his power and authority to forgive sin by healing the paralytic. We demonstrate our faith in Jesus by living our lives according to the faith according to that faith empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our works don't save us. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Our works demonstrate, they show the meaning of our faith to the world around us. This is also, we're going to take a bit of a rabbit trail, this is also where we find God's purpose for us. And by his grace and power, through the guidance of his word, we live it out. We read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We love Ephesians 2, 8, 9, don't we? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But what are we saved for? Well, that's what verse 10 tells us. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. You see, each one of us has a purpose given to us by God. Each one of us is uniquely created as God's masterpiece. And that word there in Greek is our word for poem. It's poema uniquely, artistically created by the Master with a specific purpose that God has given you so that you can do the good works he's called you to do, so that you can live the life of purpose and meaning, demonstrating your faith in him to the rest of the world for what he's uniquely called you to do what he's uniquely created you to do 
what he has uniquely empowered you by his Holy Spirit, gifted you by his Holy Spirit to be. That's beautiful. There's a quote that goes around that says, the two most important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. Love that quote. And it's interesting to me. I am blessed, and I know I'm blessed, because I know why. Oh, and it's a big deal. There was a time, and most of you know the story, where I tried to stop. I got tired. I got weary. I got worn out. And I tried to stop doing what I was created to do. It was a very miserable couple years for me. It was very um, devoid of joy. It was very draining. And I remember still to this day, the day that God told me to go back to doing what he had created me to do. And I was scared. Felt like I couldn't. It's like the, the line from that, the, the song we did. I thought my failures were too great. That's a cave. And he said, no. They can't be that great. Our failures can't be greater than the cross. Our shortcomings can't be greater than the cross. And so he brought me back to do what I was created to do. What are you created to do? I, I can't answer that question for all of you. You have to answer that question for yourself. You have to answer that question between you and God. But I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care what you think you've done that's too great. I don't care that you, may, may I heard people say, well, I'm not a pastor, so what? Good. We all, not everybody can be a pastor. Not everybody's supposed to be a pastor. Right? Go back to Paul's description in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. If everybody was the mouth, where would the hearing be? If everybody was the eyes and we didn't have any feet, well, the eyes couldn't go anywhere to see anything new. I'm grateful that that's what God called me to do. I am. It's awesome. I am. If that's not what God called you to do, awesome. Figure out what that is. If you need help, let me know. But the whole point is that God has created you to demonstrate your faith. So we pick up in verse 19. And I love the examples that James chooses to use. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith 
without works is dead also. I love how he finishes this. James was a good sermon writer, right? He, he was writing a letter, but this is a sermon. So he makes a point. He explains the point, and then he gives examples. Pretty good sermon outline, right? Jesus finished this section. James, I said Jesus. Eh. Jesus was working through James, and James was his half-brother, but still. James finished his section with further examples. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is verse 19. You believe there is one God? Good for you! Even the demons believe that. I cannot tell you how many times in my life as a believer or in my ministry as a pastor where I've tried to share the gospel with somebody and had them respond with, oh, I believe in God. Good for you. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now, when I was younger, I used to say that. I've grown up a little bit. I, I've realized that calling someone a demon doesn't usually get them to come to church. I don't know, maybe it's worked for you. But it's never worked for me, so I've stopped doing it. But every time someone tells me I believe in God, this verse pops into my head. Oh, I believe in God. Do you know that believing in God, or just saying I believe in God, is pretty meaningless? Three quarters of the people on earth will tell you they believe in some sort of higher power. Right? I have a friend who tells, tells me he's got, a, he's got a cousin. Oh, I pray to the universe. Might as well pray to a cup of coffee. It's going to do you about as much good. Oh, well, I, be I believe God is up there, but, you know, I'm just, I'm not into any one religion, or I, I just accept all faiths. That's a one-way ticket to hell. That's what it is. I believe in something. Well, you know, I know something's out there. I'm just not sure what. Well, let me tell you what. You can have a genuine relationship with the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, who sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. He rose again the third day, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Do you know there's something out there? Well, remember Paul in Athens in Acts 17? I perceive that you're all very religious. You even have a monument to the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. You believe in something? Well, let me tell you what that something is. Let me tell you who he is and what he has done for you by sending his son. We have a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ and then we have a life that demonstrates that faith. Simply saying you believe. Oh, I believe. I believe in God. Or my favorite. I go to church. Not my church. <laughs> Very, that's another story for another time. Ask me at, at Potluck. Uh, you need to know Christ. You need to know Christ. And I'm grateful. I, I look at the faces of the people here. And I, as far as I know, you all do. And that's awesome. Maybe there's someone online who doesn't. Maybe there's someone sitting here who doesn't. You just, you're afraid to acknowledge it. You're not going anywhere without Christ. Well, you're not going anywhere yet without Christ. Second example is that of Abraham being justified by works. And we know Abraham was justified and he was made righteous before God by belief. So all the way back in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God 
and God accounted it to him as righteousness. However, Abraham then demonstrated his faith in God. He showed his justification by his works when he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And if you've never spent time to study it, I highly recommend, not because I'm the end-all be-all, it could be someone else, I just know that we have it out there. Go on our website, you can listen to our study from Genesis 19, 20, 21, 22, that, that general section of Genesis, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ demonstrated through Isaac. But God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, take him up to the mountain and kill him. And Abraham went, huh? No, he didn't, did he? Okay. My favorite part of that whole account in Genesis, they leave the guys behind. Abraham tells the, the servants, the boy and I are going to go sacrifice and we will return to you. Abraham knew he was supposed to kill him on top of the mountain, yet said, we're coming back. They go up on the mountain. Isaac gets a little curious. Hey, Dad. Yes, son. We got the wood. We got a rope. We got fire. What you going to kill? And his answer, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And they get to the top of the mountain, build the altar. Isaac, yeah, I need a favor. What's that, Dad? Will you lay down on there? Ties his son up. Isaac, at this point, probably 30 years old, possibly. Could have easily overpowered his father, who was in his hundreds. Doesn't say a word. Submits to the will of the Father. And finally, in verse 12, God speaks. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The writer of the Hebrews gives us a little commentary on this. In Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see, Abraham believed God. Demonstrated that belief through his obedience. But he believed God. And James goes on to tell us that Abraham's faith was made perfect by this work. It was complete, made complete by this works. And I'm going to say it again. It doesn't mean we're saved only after doing good works. And I think the thief on the cross is an excellent example of that. In Luke 23, 42, and 43, he could do no good work. He was on a cross, condemned to die for his crimes. As he hung there, he started off by mocking Jesus. But later on, he turned to his other thief and he said, you know what? Don't you fear God? We deserve to be here. This guy hasn't done anything wrong. And he looks at Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked back at him and said, great. Now I need you to go join a church. And I need you to be baptized. And I need you to you know, fill out your membership card. And start tithing. And start serving in children's ministry. 
then you'll be with me in heaven. Did Jesus say any of that? No, not even. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in heaven. What did the thief do? Did he do any good work? Not a one. He believed. And I know I've been harping on it all day. And I don't care. Faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us. Our works, empowered by the Holy Spirit, demonstrates our faith, making it complete. Rahab is the next example. In Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites are moving in to the land that God had promised them. Spies get sent out into the land. A couple of them end up in Jericho. They meet a prostitute. The prostitute says, hey, I know God is with you. I know you guys are going to destroy us. I don't want to die. Right? And at that point, she believed God. Demonstrated her faith by hiding the Hebrew spies. And again, the author of the Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 31, gives us commentary saying, By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. I don't want anybody leaving today saying, Oh, wow, but he talked a lot about how works get us into heaven. Nope, I didn't say that. You see, the demons believe in God, but their works are contrary to him. Many people claim to believe in God, but do not have a saving faith in him through Jesus Christ. Abraham had faith, and his faith was demonstrated through his obedience with Isaac. Rahab had faith, demonstrated that faith by hiding the Hebrew spies. All of that begins with faith. Relationship with God through Jesus Christ for us. That's where it begins. And then as we grow in that faith, it will be shown in our lives through obedience to God. And if not, our faith is lifeless. And that's how we close in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You see, our bodies are just shells. What is the difference between a living person and a dead person? You know, we have the various physiological aspects. A dead person isn't breathing. A dead person doesn't have a heartbeat. But the true difference is the absence of our spirit. When our physical body dies, our spirit moves out, either into the presence of God for believers, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or into judgment and eternal condemnation for those who have rejected Christ. At the same time, when we claim to have faith in God, but our lives do not align with what we say we believe, then our faith is dead. Faith in Christ is a living faith. That's why Jesus said in John 7, 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John gives us the commentary, of course, that that speaks of the Holy Spirit that had not yet been given. And so while our salvation is by faith, through grace alone, and this is certain from Scripture, if we're saved by grace through faith, then our faith will be demonstrated by the works in our lives. We don't work in order to be saved, but our works 
of the supernatural outflow of our lives because we are saved. As I said earlier, that doesn't mean everyone has to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that you're walking down Main Street and you got to grab everybody by the arm and start preaching the gospel at them. Now, if the Holy Spirit tells you to do that, then you should listen. But what it does mean is that as followers of Jesus Christ, those who claim to be saved through, his, through faith in him, by his grace, our lives are going to demonstrate that faith. We will show the world what our faith means by our words. And we will let our light shine before others so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Right? We, I could do a whole other sermon on that. We don't do things to receive glory from other people. We do things to give him glory. But that's another sermon for another time. So I'm going to close, as I always close, with a couple questions that will make you dislike me. The first one, do you have a saving relationship with God through Christ? We talked about this earlier. I don't know your heart. I don't know everybody's heart. I don't know anybody's heart except my own, and even then, I only know it sometimes you're here, if you're joining us online and you don't know Christ as Savior, that's the first and most important thing. I always will be. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose again so we can turn from our sins and turn to him and be saved. So if there's anybody who needs that, you can talk to me after. You can leave me a, a comment or send us a message online. Number two, have there been times when you did not demonstrate your faith when you could have or should have. If so, repent. Be forgiven and move forward. It's a great thing about being a Christian. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't shy away from repentance. I, don't, I like to talk about it. I repent a lot. Those of you who know me better than others, why but I do if I let you read my prayer journal which I never will but if I let you read my prayer journal you'd be like Lord forgive me for this and for this and for this and for this and then I quote 1 John 1 9 and I give him glory and praise and I try to move forward because I'm not perfect I'm so far from perfect and all of us there's been times where maybe the Holy Spirit has nudged us to talk to somebody or share the gospel with somebody, or pray for somebody, or, or help somebody in a practical way, and we didn't listen. We've all done it. If you haven't done it, good for you. I've done it. And if you tell me you haven't done it, then you're probably going to have to repent for lying. But that's a different issue. We've all done it. So repent. Move forward. Finally, this is such a big question, and it seems so trivial, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's such a big question. What has God created you to do? And are you doing it? If you know, and you're not doing it, we go back to repentance and moving forward. If you know and you're doing it, awesome. If you don't know, oh, we can spend some time figuring that out. 
spend some time looking at the various gifts listed in Scripture. 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 12, 13, 14, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, um, Ephesians 4. There's all kinds of places where the gifts that God has given to us to use for his glory are listed in Scripture. And if you, you read those and you pray over them and you go, well, yeah, but I, I, which one? I don't know. The Bible tells us it's the Spirit who gives the gift. I, I can't do it. But he does, and he will. And he wants to. So he can work in and through your life. And maybe you're like, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't have some fancy gift. Actually, I actually had someone say to me that, say that to me once. I don't have a fancy spiritual gift. What does that mean? And they said, well, all I'm really good at is cooking meals for people. I'm like, that, that, not only A, is it a gift of hospitality, but B, anybody who's a good cook, clearly gifted by God, especially for those of us who like food. Right? Whatever it is. If you don't know what it is, let us help you. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll talk through scriptures with you and figure that out. I'm going to be quiet. The food smells so good. And I'm going to pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the great love that you've given each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, if there is anybody here who doesn't know you, that you would speak to their hearts even now and draw them to yourself. And I pray, Father, that you would help each of us. trust you in every aspect of our lives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be your people on earth, your church in this world, a light shining in the darkness, salt that is preserving, flavoring, and making this world thirsty for you. I pray, God, that you would help each of us to know what you've gifted us to do and then to walk in the power of your spirit so that we can do it. I thank you, Lord, for your great love. I thank you for your word. And I pray as we move about the rest of our day and move into a new week that we would go into this world shining our lights and bringing your glory. In Jesus' name.